bringing God's word this morning. So let's just pray for Phil as he brings us God's word. Father, we thank you for the blessing of having Phil and those from the Methodist Church with us this morning. Father, we give you thanks that we can worship together as one. And as Phil brings this word now, Father, would you open up our hearts to receive all you have to teach us through what you have laid on Phil's heart, that we may become more and more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Tasha. Good morning, everyone. How wonderful to be here with you. Uh, I would normally, of course, come and say uh, greetings from the Methodist Church, but um, I've brought many of the Methodist Church with me, so it's, it's a joy to be all here together. And um, I was so touched by what Peter said earlier about this particular reading, because this isn't part of a lectionary, this isn't part of something that, um, that, that, that I was following in terms of um, why we have this reading today. God has been speaking to me over the last weeks, months perhaps, about his love for me, his love for each of you as well. And it's a different type of love. It's a perfect love. And as we seek that in our human relationships, we, we long for this type of love. And um, God put this message on my heart. Um, I wasn't really aware that it was going to be the Sunday that I was coming here. But again, that is so perfect, isn't it? That we're, we're here together as, um, as Christians together in this way. So Peter, thank you very much for sharing that. And that's certainly been very, very encouraging for me. I'm sure that many of us here enjoy classical music. I'm sure, yes. Uh, And I love, I enjoy the way that the best composers weave and repeat a recurring theme, a melody or a harmony, rising and falling, but unmistakably present through a piece of music. Uh, Those of you who may be classically trained uh, will know this as a leitmotif. It was news to me as well. Uh, For me, not classically trained, um, it's the consistency and the repetition of a wonderful harmony or a truthful and authentic message that I just so much enjoy listening to. Because perhaps you, like me, when that happens, it goes deep into our souls. It touches something in us. It touches our spirit within us. Perhaps it's a bit like laying on a beach on a warm day, which is a nice thing to visualise today. Uh, Laying on that beach on a warm day, listening to the rhythm of the waves as they crash upon the shore. There, that's a a nice image for us to have. But that's what I mean by this, this this constancy, this repetition, this wonderful harmony. And in this short time that I'm going to spend in talking to you, I hope that we can see, all of us can see, this same recurring and reassuring theme in John's writings. This theme is called perfect love. Or perhaps more accurately, a love of God, from God, that's being perfected in us and radiated out to all those around us. It's a theme that is constant and very clear in this letter and, of course, is also very clear and constant in John's Gospel itself. 
So this love that I'm talking of, this love that is in focus, is a different type of love than what we would normally expect. It's the love that in the Greek is agape love. It's the highest form of love that we can have because it's the all-encompassing love of God. The love of God for you and the love of God for me. We're his children. And we call him Father, Abba. And he calls us Son, Daughter. It's a love that always, and I mean always, seeks the highest good of another. No matter what the response, it's a self-giving, sacrificial love. But we'll learn more of this as we spend time together. Before we do so, let me please just give a little context to this letter. So it's like a standing back, if you like, of viewing the scene. John is writing from Ephesus to the churches in that province that are struggling with discouragement due to their own sinful failures and having, shock, horror, false teachers in their midst. It's a letter written to gain a response. It's to stand firm against the shifting ideas, the different ideologies. And it's a letter written to reignite a passion, a passion that is cooled. It's to regain a zeal that has faded to bring that back. It's a call for action, and it needs a response, not just an observation. And I personally think that this is a letter and a message that is completely right for us today, in our circumstances. Prominent in the letter is the recurring and positive note it strikes concerning Christian certainty and Christian confidence. John wants to fan into flame truth and love, the two things that are under attack in the church of that day, and perhaps in our church today as well. And John wants us to use three practical tests for the genuineness of our Christianity, and that's yours and mine. Perhaps it's a bit like a scientific experiment to test the presence of something. His question that he's seeking an answer to is, is your Christianity authentic? So, how does he do this? Well, when our actions are considered, do we measure up? And there are three questions. And in good mastermind language, your specialist subject this morning, brothers and sisters, is Christian certainty. And of course, when you think of how many sermons you've all listened to over the years, that's why it's your specialist subject. This is something we know a lot about, isn't it? So, take your time. And no passes. So, first of all, the first test is the test of belief, the test of truth. What do we really believe? And, of course, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he talks of, he describes the word of truth being the gospel of salvation, which is the whole gospel. So, that was the first. Second, the test of obedience, the test of of devotion. Those who say they know him and follow him, Do we keep all his commandments, or just the easy ones? And then third, and that's what's really in focus for us today, the third, the test of love. What type of way do we love one another? Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. 
from Psalm 139. And this is for each one of us to consider as we listen to this today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Consider this statement from an eminent theologian. Love from God is the very truth of my being. I'll say it again. Love from God is the very truth of my being. And it's our whole self. It's everything that we are. It's the whole of us. It's not a Sunday us. It's the whole of us. Particularly when faced with difficult decisions about human relationships. Love has to be joined by truth. They go together. They can't be separated. Imagine a marriage where the husband says, I love you, to his wife. But there's untruthfulness in the marriage. So we know that that love cannot be true love. Truth and love go together so beautifully, so perfectly, which is why it relates to this perfect love. And then think of this. To that truth and to that love, join grace. So truth, love and grace. And they're a triune of perfection working in each one of us. So perfect love, perfect truth and perfect grace. All working within us. Or perhaps more accurately, working on us. Changing us from the inside out. You may like to have your Bibles open as we go through the passage because I'm only just warming up. And remember, we're looking at 1 John 4, 7 to 19. So if you have it in front of you, uh, let's encounter its message together and consider what our response is going to be. I love our different translations of the Bible. The translation I looked at um, begins with beloved. And when we think of the word beloved as it begins, what a beautiful and very personal term to receive from John, from him to you, to him, from him to me, beloved. And it's all said in the, in the very first verse that we look, we look at. Beloved, let us, one, let us love one another. Let us love one another. And this isn't just a glib, easy talk about love, but it's a very practical and pressing call to love one another with the same love that God loves us, which is a sacrificial love. It's a cross-shaped love. And of course, remember from John's Gospel, which we often hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that those who believe in him will have eternal life, that those that don't will perish. Because of course, remember, this is the same person writing, inspired by the same Holy Spirit, the Gospel of John, the letter from John. It's, it's an echo so it's not surprising that we're going we're gonna to be reminded of these things. So we're reminded from verses 9 to 11 that God so loved the world. And of course that's you and it's me. And he sent his only son, Jesus, to take our place on the cross. So that our sins can be forgiven. To take on to himself the punishment that's due to each one of us. The sin, the shame so that those who believe in him can be cleansed, can be purified and reconciled to God. And of course, this is the crux of the gospel message. Crux, for those of you who know, means cross. 
This is the very root of the gospel message for us. And here is the loudly blaring message for us that we cannot fail to miss. Because if God has so loved us, which he has because he's sacrificed himself on the cross, so if God has so loved us, and that's each one of you, then surely, surely, then, we ought to love one another. And that's exactly what it says in the passage. If God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And of course, the one another is written to the churches. It's written to those who are clearly within the church, who are at that particular time accepting the error in teaching. Errors that we may be accepting. A different gospel, not dealing with a sinful lifestyle. And I think about it in this way that there's an overgrown and unwalkable path to holiness that no one is going and clearing away. No one is going and beating down the things that have made it overgrown. And it just lies there derelict, while so many churches are off in a different direction with an easy gospel message, with an easy type of love, a very simple type of love. But we're looking at this morning at this pure love, this perfect love. And we can recognise in the church that is being written to, that John is writing to, it's a love that has grown cold. Has our love grown cold? And then verses 12 to 16 emphasise beautifully for us the concept of abiding in God. And in my translation, it repeats abiding, abiding, abiding. Living our lives in God. And isn't that, again, an exact echo of what we see in John's Gospel, chapter 15, which, of course, is the teaching on the true vine, with Jesus saying, As the Father loves me, I also love you. Do you hear that? Jesus is saying he loves you. He loves each of you. Jesus loves you. And when we fail, and when we make mistakes when we say things that we oughtn't to, he doesn't say, oh my goodness, you've messed up again. (laughs) How many times is this going to happen? He doesn't say that. He says, I love you. I love you. And we need to say it to ourselves when we think that we're not good enough, when we think that that our sin is just too big to, to be forgiven, when we fall again and again, But Jesus offers us a hand. He picks us up and he says, I love you. And he has the confidence in that love that that we can progress through it. Because remember, it's being perfected within us. And of course, in John's Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus goes on to say that... um, Abide in my love so that my joy may remain in you. That's the joy of Jesus. And that your joy may be full. God's will is for us to bear fruit. And of course, if you read John chapter 15, you'll see that very clearly, that we walk the Christian path of holiness just as Jesus walked it. And in our passage that we're looking at today, it it goes on to say, who who says he abides in him ought to walk just as Jesus walked. For me, it it makes such a difference to say, who he who says. 
And it emphasises who says. Which kind of gives an impression that, well, we shouldn't just say that we are abiding in him. We do need to actually abide in him. He who says he abides in him ought to himself walk just as he, Jesus, walked. And I would encourage you to read the whole of this letter because it is just a recurrence of this love that is there for us. And in our passage this morning, this is the third repetition of, of, of it being repeated. Because earlier, 1 John 2.6, we have, the world is passing away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Um, and in 1 John 2.6, we have the fact that we have to walk as Jesus walked. So to be a Christian indeed is to be a Christian in our deeds. And then verses 13 to 14 in our reading demonstrate the work of the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Spirit, combining to perfect in us this love. So much as the the love, the truth and the grace combine to perfect each one of us, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit works to bring us to this perfect relationship. And then finally, verses 17 to 19 contain one of the most reassuring verses for us in times of anxiety and fear. This perfect love that we speak of, this perfect love, which we all have access to, there's not some hidden path, there's not some special formula. God wants us to have this type of love. We have access to it and we can receive it. It casts out fear. And notice in verse 17, which is such an encouragement for me today and perhaps for you as well, verse 17 of our reading says, Love has been perfected among us. And it introduces the dynamic, I think, of it being between us. So yes, a perfect love that's in us, but a perfect love that that is experienced among us. So yes, a community of Jesus. Meeting in different places, having different traditions, yes, all of those things. But we're joined together by perfect love. It's, it's what keeps us bound together so tightly. So as we, can, as we conclude, let's think of those three tests that we began with. How did you do? How do we do? How do I do? is the question that I ask myself, because each one of us is responsible for ourselves. We should all desire this perfect love that we've heard about. And it was to the church at Ephesus, which is, as I said, likely the subject of this letter, that Jesus then, of course, goes on to say in Revelation, um, this I have against you, that your love has grown cold. And we must enter our relationship with God in the same way, perhaps, as some of us have entered human relationships. With devotion, with desire, with honesty and selflessness, and with joy, never at being a duty. So John is calling the church to a love that is identified with the cross, a love that is distinctly Christian, sacrificial, devoted, and forgiving. A love that demands action, the witness of which will achieve God's outcome. 
And Jesus is saying to each one of us today, to you and to me, perhaps in times of struggle or doubt, he's saying, I love you, I know you, and I, I trust you. And we can have that message with absolute certainty because we have this love letter that ensures that we know that. We know that he loves us in all circumstances and because he loves us, we have to love one another. Amen.